Praise God. I'm going to preach fast today because this is the last message in the series that we've been doing on personal revival. How many of you have enjoyed the series? Praise God. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the power of your word and the word of your power. I thank you, God, that your power is encapsulated in your word. I thank you, Father, that no one will be robbed today. No one will be robbed, Lord, but today will not be, it will not be information, but it will be an impartation. I thank you, God, that destiny is being ignited in the hearts of your people. We open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, our teacher, and we say, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm very excited about this message today. It's entitled Redreaming. It's entitled what? Redreaming. It's entitled what? Redreaming. Redreaming. How many of you know that when you come to a place of being revived, part of what God wants to revive is your dream? And the reason I'm calling it redreaming is because when you're a child, it's natural for you to dream, isn't it? One of the things about little kids is their imagination is amazing. When I speak to my little children, what do they do? They say, Daddy, I'm, by the time I'm 16, I'll be better than Lionel Messi. Daddy, don't worry. I will pay for that wonderful mansion when I'm a, when I'm a professional soccer player. All three of them want to be. There are no limits. But somehow as you grow older, you're told by people, that won't work. And they always say it with a funny accent. Have you noticed that? People never come up to you and say, Kwaile, um, I don't think that is possible. Uh, is, that won't work. All this sounds horrible. But that's what people do. And some of you, for whatever reason, you're in a space in your life where you have to learn to dream again. If you've been wounded, you become cynical, and you think, I'm not going to dream. Uh-uh. The Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. I've got people who come to me and say, I'm tired of hoping. I don't want to keep hoping because I'll be disappointed. So they've programmed their whole lives to more readily accept failure and mediocrity than success. I believe God is taking us to a place in our lives where we're going to start dreaming once again. One of the quotes I really like is a quote by a guy called Paul J. Mayer. And I would like you to repeat it after me. What you vividly imagine. Say, what you vividly imagine. What you vividly imagine. Ardently desire. Ardently desire. Sincerely believe. Enthusiastically act upon. must inevitably happen. Isn't that powerful? It must inevitably come to pass. What you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe, enthusiastically act upon, must inevitably come to pass. That's faith. That's the language of faith. And you see, when you have this revelation, when you understand that the way God creates, God has made us like him. And the way God creates, he wants to use your imagination. He wants to use your ability to dream. He wants to use your ability to aspire. That's the engine when it comes to greatness. 
And so the enemy's strategy against you and me is to suppress, is to oppress our minds, to besiege our minds so that we stop dreaming. You know that animals can't dream. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about dreaming when you're sleeping at night. You know, sometimes our dogs are lying down and we hear all sorts of sounds. I'm not talking about night dreaming. I'm talking about what we call to aspire. Last time I checked, my dogs weren't saying, you know what my five-year five plan is? <laughs> you know, mm, I think this is my strategy, you know. I like that hound over. I like that. You don't hear them speaking like that, do you? You see it in the movies. <laughs> That's something unique to us as human beings. It's the ability to dream. And so I want to share with you some steps. I want to share with you some principles to help you to dream again. Because for many of us in this room, the enemy is afraid. He's not afraid of what we're currently doing. He's afraid of what we're about to birth. He's afraid of your ability and your capacity to imagine great things. He's afraid of it. Because he knows the outcome. You know what the biggest mistake people make is? You know what it is? They focus too much on the how and not the what. So they stop dreaming. You see, when you want to really dream, you focus on the what. What do I want to see? What's a picture of a preferred future? Only after that do you try to figure out the how. Some of you, the way your past personalities are wired, the way you're wired, when we say, let's just brainstorm, let's just dream, let's just let loose, what are you saying? You say, no, but we need to do real time, at the same time, simultaneously, we need to do some risk analysis. No, don't worry about the risk analysis just yet. Just dream. No, let's do some scenario planning. No, don't worry about that yet. Just dream. Yes. Yeah, sure. Oh, no, let's dream, let's dream, let's dream. Oh, no, 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 let's do some cost-benefit analysis. And you never end up doing what God has called you to do. How many dreamers do we have in the house this morning? It's time to dream. I'm telling you right now, it's time to dream. You start with the dream. Then after you've established it, you then figure out the how. But if you try to figure out the how too soon, you won't give yourself room or capacity to imagine. And you see this all over scripture. Angel comes up to someone. Hey, dude, God has called you to do this. Oh, but how come? But, oh, but, but. No, God has called you. I'm going to show you just now. So to dream is to contemplate a possibility. You see, some of you just have quick thoughts about possibility. You don't contemplate the possibility. And then your imagination is the engine room of your dream. You know what the sad thing is, guys? The sad thing is the guys, the new ages out there, people who don't know God out there, a lot of them are imagining all sorts of things, visualizing all sorts of things, and those things are coming to pass because that's how God created us. And yet so many Christians are passive. So many Christians, for various reasons, aren't dreaming. You see, you won't get up and begin to dream if you're afraid of failing. Ask yourself, what am I really afraid of? I was coaching someone a few days ago, and I spoke to them about that, and I said, what are you afraid of? They said, oh, no, I think it's the fear of failure. 
And I said, well, what are the consequences of failing? Oh, people will look at me, Paul, and they'll say, I'm not all that. They'll say, I'm incompetent. Then I said, well, your fear isn't really the fear of failure. Your, your real fear, the real trigger that is triggering this anxiety that you're going through, your real fear is the fear of rejection. It's the fear of exclusion. It's the fear of being isolated as someone who's not that smart. That's your real fear. And the moment you overcome your fear of abandonment and rejection, then you'll have your breakthrough. You see, very often we're quick to say it's just fear of failure. No, often it's what comes with the failure. And very often it's perceived stuff, isn't it? It's not real stuff. I then said to the individual, I said, so what would really happen if person X, and I even gave a name of one of their teammates, if person X looks at you and thinks, girl, you ain't all that, what will happen? She was like, oh, nothing much. Won't really affect my life. I said, yes. Because very often our fears are not real. They're not based on what will actually happen. I like what Robin Williams once said, I think in the one, one minute, um, one hour photo, the things we fear the most have already happened to us. Have you noticed that? You say to someone, um, yeah, here's a job opportunity. Why don't you apply for that job? Hey, no, I'm tired of going to these interviews and being rejected. I'm afraid of the rejection from those interviews. Have you been rejected before? Yes. So why are you so afraid of it? You're still here, aren't you? Oh, Paul, I don't like selling my product. I don't like sales. Oh, why? why? I, rejection. When people don't, I take it personally. Has it happened before? Yes, many times. You're still here, aren't you? So why are you so afraid of what's already happened to you in the past? Amen? So when I think of dreaming, what do I think of? I think of imagining. In the Hebrew, it's the word hazemu. Sounds like a Japanese name. Or a Shona surname, depending on what. Yeah. yeah. Hazemu. It means to consider. It means to purpose. It means to devise. It means to plot. It means to think. We're talking about our imagination. And God uses that to conceive things. He uses that to birth things. Isn't that powerful? In Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, the Lord said, do you remember the Tower of Babel? They're building up this tower, wanting to build up a tower going to, to the heavens. Right? And then God literally scattered them because he saw their potential. And look what he says. It says, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That word plan... Right? It's the same. You could also put there, you could insert there, nothing they imagine to do, nothing they dream to do will be impossible. I believe that as children of God, we need to learn to dream again. We need to learn to dream again. If your mind can conceive it, it's possible. What you vividly imagine, what you ardently desire, what you sincerely believe, what you enthusiastically act upon must inevitably come to pass. That's faith. That's faith. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18. In the King James, it uses this word also. It says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, 
Keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people and prepare their heart unto thee. Isn't that a powerful statement? Keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts. The imagination of the thoughts. Now what happens is that if you've been wounded in this life, then your ability to dream is skewed. You will still dream, but it will be skewed. You see a lot of people who thrive on selfish ambition. Very often they've got a wound. And in trying to heal that particular wound, they begin to build up dreams. They begin to conceive all sorts of things in their thoughts, but it's skewed. If we want to have God-given dreams that we see enacted, that are God-glorifying, it's so important that in our souls we are whole. Amen? Amen. Because imagination happens in your heart. Imagination is not an intellectual thing. Dreaming is not an intellectual exercise. We dream with our heart. Some people are going to start dreaming again. Some people here are going to start dreaming again. I'm telling you right now, some of you who have not been dreaming, you're going to start dreaming again. Some of you who've been told that won't work, you're going to start dreaming again. Some of you who've gone to the workplace and you had all sorts of dreams and you're told by someone at work that no, that can't work in this place, maybe in your former organization, but not here. You need to start telling those people, your story doesn't have to be my story. Your story doesn't have to be my story. Too many people try to make their story your story, but you're different, you're unique. God has chosen you. I decree over you that you're going to start dreaming again. You're going to start dreaming again. Some of you have been passive in your lives. You've been passive in your walk with God. You're afraid of failure. You're afraid of of hoping because hoping so much. But I don't know if it will happen. And you withdraw and you shrink back. God is changing that this morning. He's changing that. You're going to start dreaming. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 2. It says, All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Pursuing their own imaginations. So you have good imaginations and you have bad imaginations. And God is speaking here and is showing that you pursue that which you imagine. You pursue that which you imagine. You see, it's not just about having a dream. Whatever your dream is, whatever your focus is, whatever has mind share, whatever is dominant in your thoughts, in your mind, in your thinking, you will gravitate in that direction. I'll go deeper into this on on a different occasion, but I just want you to understand for now, that's what happens. You literally gravitate towards whatever you're seeing. Think about it. When you're driving at night, and if there's oncoming traffic and their lights are on, what happens if you keep staring at those lights? You end up driving towards those lights. You gravitate toward that which you see. My question to you this morning is, what do you see? What, is you, what do you see? Is your primary focus, how can I protect myself from danger? So all you're seeing is this boss looking down at you, about to blame you, saying, you are to blame. It's your fault. <laughs> That's what you're seeing. That's what you're visualizing. Or are you seeing yourself in front of people making a difference? 
Often the way I'll start off my day, I'll say, I am really grateful that I'm always meeting people who are influential, who are taking my career to its next level. So what am I always doing? I'm always meeting those people. There could be some people who see exactly the same people throughout the day, but they might not experience that. Why? They're not focused on it. That's how our brains work. There's something called your reticular activator in your brain. You see, you can't be aware of all the stimuli, every single thing happening right now. You can't be aware of it. Why? Because your reticular activator is obeying you and you've said what Paul has to say this morning is important, so let me zoom in on that. But if I was to say everyone just go completely silent, dead silent, what can you hear? All of a sudden you can hear traffic outside. Maybe you can hear the kids. What's happening? You no longer focus on a specific thing. Does that make sense? How many of you live next to a highway? You live next to a highway. I'm sure there are a few people. Yes. All right. What happens? Does the traffic bother you? No, it doesn't. The traffic has become like your ocean. Why? Because you block it out. It's called scotoma in the Greek. You block it out so that you can focus on what's important. That's why dreaming is so important. Because when you say, this is what I want. This is what I am ardently, passionately, fervently desiring in life. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Guess what ends up happening? You get what you appreciate. If my focus on my wife is the things that I appreciate about her, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for this, thank you for this, guess what ends up happening? I end up actually seeing more and more of that. And, and she feeds off that, and she becomes more of that. But if I become critical and nasty, and I'm only focusing on the negative, we gravitate in that direction. That's why the power of appreciation in marriage is crucial. Can I hear an amen? amen? I'm sure some people are nudging their spouses right now. <laughs> so what's the first principle I want to share with you this morning concerning redreaming? Principle number one, understand that God uses your imagination to co-create with him. God uses your imagination to co-create with him. There are all sorts of things that God has already created in the spirit realm. The Bible tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. But why is it not happening right now in the natural? God relies on us to draw it forth from the spirit into the natural. How do we do it? Christians just say, I just pray about it. Jesus says, watch and pray. Jesus says, I do only what I see my father doing. So the starting point of prayer that makes things happen is seeing. My question to you is, what are you seeing? What's in the realm of your imagination? If you've, been, if you've come from a background of abuse, in the realm of your imagination, please don't lose this, in the realm of your imagination, all you can think of is guys are abusive. They are all abusive. And what ends up happening is that the force that has on you, in determining how you behave, is phenomenal. Some people say that in your subconscious, in your heart, let me use Christian language, in your heart, in your inner person, whatever you want to call it, that determines 95% or so of what ends up happening to you. Why? Because you see, if there's wounds, if there are wounds in my heart, if there are negative views of what happens in life, that will determine how much healing I think is possible for me. That will determine how much money I think I can make. 
And I'm telling you right now, some of you have got limitations based on wounds in your heart. And that's why God, when He comes, He makes you whole. Salvation, sozo, that word in the Greek, is not just talking about being saved spiritually. It's, talk, it's talking about being made whole. Salvation in terms of your soul. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your imagination. And some of you right now need healing and wholeness in the realm of your imagination. God wants to heal how you see. Right. Please say that to the person next to you. God wants to heal how you see. Because you see, if you're that person and you believe that, or you believe, oh Lord, I'm trusting you for a husband. I'm trusting you for a husband. But if within your soul you're still wounded, what are you seeing when you think of husband? You become the kind of person when we see the dude you get hooked up to, we like, is this what you said him for? Because you see, if you're wounded, what happens? If there's shame in your life, what happens? You're like, I think this is what I deserve. I remember speaking to someone some time back, and I'm glad they didn't make the decision, but they were like, yeah, well, maybe this is what God has provided for me. Because subconsciously, when you feel guilty, when there's a sense of shame, what happens? It looks for punishment. It looks for punishment. And you'll find that it's difficult to then hold down a relationship. Or even with your spouse, you'll always be picking a fight. Because there's something deeply seated, deep-seated in you where you're saying, I need to be punished. I don't deserve good stuff. When people then do good stuff to you, what do you do? You interpret it negatively. When a guy comes up to you and says, lovely outfit, what does he want? You can't believe I look nice. You can't believe that. You can't believe I'm looking nice. Because in your heart, you've already programmed yourself. I'm unattractive, I'm unwanted, I'm undesirable. So you interpret everything that happens around you through that lens. God wants to heal our imagination. If you've already decided that, you know what, Paul, people like me can't make money. People who are born on the wrong side of the railway track like me, uh-uh, never. It's not for us. You'll find yourself continuously sabotaging the breakthroughs God gives you. We'll pray for you until your head is bald. For some people, that doesn't make any difference. We'll pray for you, and we'll pray, and we'll pray, and we'll pray. The deal is about to happen, but at a certain point, you sabotage it. Your boss calls you in and says, hey, we want to figure out if you can do A, B, C, D. But you're so afraid of failure. You're so afraid of embarrassment that you avoid the meeting. Are you feeling me this morning? Because you've been programmed to more readily accept failure than success. That's what happens when your soul is wounded. This morning, God wants to heal us in the realm of our imagination. So your imagination is part of your soul as a human being. Remember that you've got a body, but you also have a soul and you have a spirit. Your spirit is the part of it that's God conscious. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your imagination. And God wants to sanctify us in the realm of our soul. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Verse 20 and 21. Are you there? I don't trust myself with glasses like what happened last week, so I'm going to put it down here. (laughs) Now to him who is able to do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine. What do you notice there? 
Can you see that Paul is making an assumption? He's making an assumption that the people who he's writing to understand this principle. That when God blesses you, it's not just about what you ask him for. It's about what's in your imagination. And he gives you infinitely more than that. So if there's no asking, there's no getting. If there's no imagination, won't happen. Seems like someone is getting it. Let's just, let's just pause. Let it land. So okay. I'm, I'm comfortable with the silence. What are you imagining right now? What type of family do you want? Remember, we're not just talking about imagination. We're talking about vividly imagining. What type of family do you want? What type of husband do you see yourself as? Don't just say, ah, I'll be a loving husband. No. See yourself loving your wife. What does it look like? What type of family do you want one day? Will there be laughter? What will it feel like when there's laughter all around the house? Is there freedom? Or will your children grow up in a family where they told children must be just seen, not heard? What type of business do you want to create? Church planters. I'm hoping there are quite a number of you here. What type of church do you want? When I've spoken to, to Michael about the Pretoria East Church, I said to him, you know what? With that church, I said, you've got this blank canvas. There are things God has shown us about it, but guess what? With the other stuff, God says, just paint the blank canvas. God doesn't give you all the details concerning every single thing. And it's the religious people who say he does. And then they just use God's name. They just say, the Lord showed me this. The Lord showed me we must have these type of chairs. The Lord showed me the roof must be like this. The Lord showed me we must paint it this color. No, the Lord didn't show you that. Oh, come on. <laughs> They're blueprints that God gives you. And one of the things that's been exciting, and I know even for Michael and Fanzai, is just being able to dream. Not so. Just being able to say, yes, what we want it to look like. And talking to the team there and saying, man, yes, it's going to be family orientated. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. God wants us to dream. Some of you have to learn to dream again. Some of you grew up in households where you're told all the time, no, this is what you must do. Especially in collectivist societies like on the African continent. Can I go there, please? You won't say I'm just saying Africans. Can I go there? Yeah. Okay. When you come from a collectivist culture, collectivism, what is collectivism? It's where you make decisions not based on your individual conscience, but you make decisions based on fear of being banished by the in-group. There are many positives about collectivist societies. We value relationship. They're all those positives, but I'm not talking about that right now. You know, there's some people who almost have this victim mentality. You know, on this continent, that's our problem. So you just tell us nice things about ourselves as African people. We just need nice things. Okay? Yeah, but there's also the stuff where every strength overused becomes a liability. So what happens is you'll find this person and they'll say, Mom, Dad, I'm so good at art. Can you send me to university, please, to go and study fine arts? What do mom and dad do when they make the decision? Look around. Do we know anyone in our family who's studying? Is there anyone? No, we've never seen this. No, I think my daughter, you must be an accountant. You must be a lawyer. How many feel that when God created you, he made you unique? 
How many of you know that the gifts and talents you've got, there are a whole lot of people in your family that don't have the same gifts and talents? So when we have the standards thing that our people are all doctors, our people are all accountants. I wasn't thinking of people from Durban, Indian people from Durban. I wasn't thinking of people from Durban. Then you spend your whole life trying to do something that God hasn't wired you to do. And by the way, let me just say it also happens with churches also. Because the pastor is in this profession, so I must also be. Because that's the in thing. I'll be part of the inner circle if I also do that. We celebrate the differences. Now what happens is you'll find that as impartation and activation takes place, you'll find similar people and like-minded people gravitating to the same environment, but we still need to acknowledge the diversity. If you're good at baking, then love baking and do it well. If you want to be a preschool teacher, then do it well. Not everyone has to have a franchise and be running some big business out there. Amen? Amen. Now to him who is able to do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This is how we birth things. We need to see it. He gives you more than you can imagine. Question, what are you imagining? How often do you give yourself space and time to just pause and just start dreaming? As a little boy growing up, although I've always been an extrovert, enjoying being around people, cracking jokes, laughing, and doing that kind of thing, I loved those moments where I could just take an orange, I still remember, as a little boy, 10, 11, 12, would just take an orange, and I would just bore a hole, you know, in in the, the top part of it, and I would squeeze the juice in it, and I would go, and I would just sit on the east, I think it was the north side, north facing side of our house, and I would just sit there, and I would just dream, I would just dream. As I, had, as I ate my orange. Where do you go to dream? The second principle. We need to see what God is doing. See what God is doing. John 5, 19 to 20. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, the son of man, the son cannot do, can do nothing by himself. The son can do nothing by himself. Why do we think we can do a whole lot of things by ourselves? Why are we so self-sufficient? If the son of God makes a statement, and remember he uses that double, truly, truly. So he's being really serious here. Not that in other places not being serious. All right. But he's emphasizing it. The son can do nothing by himself. Some of you are ambitious people. And you strive so much. And that's your downfall. Because part of that striving is pride. And God resists the proud. That is for someone. The son can do nothing by himself. Unless he sees the father doing it. What's the father doing in your life right now? What is the activity of heaven over your family, over your business, over this church right now? What's the picture you have of heaven? And that's why when Jesus teaches us to pray, what does he say? 
He says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is to infect and to inject heaven onto earth. But we have to see what heaven looks like. Otherwise, we'll make it up ourselves. What are you seeing Father God doing in your life right now? It says, for whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. One of the ways God shows us His love for us is by showing us what He's doing. Jesus says, the Father loves the Son. And because of that, He shows Him everything that He's doing. And Jesus did the same thing with His disciples. Isn't that powerful? He says, guys, I've shared with you all that the Father has given me. One of the marks of a loving father is sharing with his children his secrets. That's why there's a problem where you have these men of God nowadays where people say, tell me, what's your strategy here? How do you do this? When you're praying for the sick, how come this person was healed and, and not that person? How, how does it work? It's a bit of a problem if people just say, <clears throat> you know what I'm going to say, right? <laughs> my brother, my sister. <clears throat> <laughs> there are levels the truth of the matter is there are levels but the fact of the matter is you can learn how to get to your next stage <laughs> don't, don't make yourself mysterious true disciple making is a type of disciple making where you're able to replicate yourself where the stuff that you do you're able to teach others to do it Amen? Amen. <laughs> instead of trying to be this enigma, this mystery, that people can worship you instead of God. Yes. Amen? Yes. It says the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So Jesus was seeing something. What are you seeing? Just think about it. How do you think, let's, some of you are engineers here, mechanically, how do you think the Father was showing the sun. I believe sometimes God, Jesus would see it in the spirit. He would, act, he would have a vision of it. But I actually think sometimes because of his intimacy with the father, he would actually imagine. He would actually just be like, what would father do in this situation? Do you know that when you've got someone who you respect and admire, when you say, what would they do in this counseling situation? What would they say? What are you doing? You imagine it. You've seen it. Yes. You're visualizing it. You want to have an angel say, Thus says the Lord, this is how you must speak. Yay, yay. You want to have that. Amen. I just love this. In verse 20, he says, The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And to your amazement, he will show him even greater works than these. I've had dreams of all sorts of stuff happening. Some of them are night dreams. Some of them I'm seeing in my imagination. Don't let the enemy rob you of what you can see. When you're revived, one of the first things God restores to you is your ability to see. That's why a lot of people who've actually seen a healthy family and a healthy marriage being modeled, they've got something to see. 
and they're able to replicate it because in their mind's eye, in their imagination, they can see something. I want to encourage you, if you've come from a background where you've got a negative view of marriage, you've come from a background where you've seen unfaithfulness and all sorts of terrible things, you need to redream in that department. And one of the best ways of redreaming is seeing it being modeled. Even if you watch a movie where you're seeing it, the problem with movies is sometimes you then say to yourself, ah, no, but it's not real. So I encourage you, walk with people where you feel like this is a healthy family. Stay with them for a couple of days where you see it. Amen. Number three, keep your heart whole and pure. Remember, we dream with our hearts. We must keep our heart whole and pure. That's why the Bible talks about the imagination of their heart. The imagination of their heart for good or for evil. Look at Genesis 6 verse 5. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. He saw it. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You know what God's concern was? It wasn't just the fruit of their wickedness. It was the inclination of their heart. You could insert there, if you look at that word inclination of the thoughts, the imagination of their hearts. It was inclined toward evil. I said to you last week, you're as spiritual as your thoughts. What's the inclination of your imagination? That's why things like pornography are very destructive. That's why things like fantasy, when you get, I'm not talking about fantasy as in, you know, what kids watch and so on. I'm talking about having fantasies in your mind. You can think you're holy and you're pure, but if you're always comparing your spouse to some ideal, I'm not even thinking sexually. I'm not even thinking physically. Some ideal. That's a fantasy. And that fantasy can become a stronghold in your marriage because they'll never measure up to a fantasy in your mind. Are you hearing me? And very often for a lot of people, their marriages are, are destroyed. Their relationships are destroyed because that fantasy is based on an image they had of their father as the perfect husband. And now they put that onto the husband. Why aren't you fixing things around the house? I can't fix stuff. <laughs> but my dad used to fix things. Not your dad. Get over it. Huh? You know what I'm talking about. For some of you right now, you need to lay down that fantasy. You need to lay down that ideal image you have of the perfect spouse. And learn to love the one God has blessed you with. Hallelujah. Well, let me just say this. Some of you might say, yeah, but I don't know if God really blessed me with this. I think I might have made a mistake. Okay? Seriously, that's what people do. Let me tell you something. The moment you said, I do. That's your Miss Right now. That's your Mr. Right. The moment you made that commitment, that's it. God honors it. Yes. Lay down that idol of this. They're supposed to be like this. Love the one you've got. Love them into their wholeness. Love them into their beauty. If you, feel, if you think your wife isn't looking great, you are responsible. No, seriously. You've got, you, 
you've got some women when they get married looking very nice, we do the wedding and so on, and we know we're not conning when we say, isn't he looking handsome? Isn't she looking beautiful? And we know we're not saying it as a faith statement. A few weeks down the line, like what happened? I'll tell you what happened. The husband didn't create an environment where that beauty is nourished. Biblically, beauty is internal first, then external. Doesn't matter what she does to her outside. When, when there's resentment, when there's fear, when there's anxiety, at a certain point it shows. Praise God for all the beautiful women in the house. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know when we share these things, we're talking about the other people out there, huh? Because that's me sorted, huh? <laughs> Praise God. Now, 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 this is interesting. God then brought the flood afterwards, isn't it? Because he was concerned about the imagination of their hearts. It was such a serious issue for God that he actually brought the flood. Now, isn't it interesting? Genesis chapter 11, he sees their unity and he sees what they're imagining and he scatters them because he knows the potential of imagination. And now look what happens here. It's interesting what what had already happened in Genesis chapter 6. It's a similar thing, isn't it? He knows the potential of imagination. See, it's one thing to dream. It's another thing to dream together. It's one one thing to think. It's another thing to think together. It's amazing when you can dream by yourself. It's another thing when you can sit with your spouse, sit with your friends, sit with your pastoral team at church and just dream together. It's power in agreement. You see, if you're not dreaming for God and with God, then by default, your imagination will be captured by something else. Every single person who calls themselves a human being has got the capacity to imagine. But if they're not dreaming with God, if they're not seeing what God is doing, they're seeing something else. They're seeing the hatred. They're seeing the pain that they have to protect themselves from. You're always seeing something. When I talk to people about visualizing things, I say, you all do it. When you're worrying, you're visualizing. When you're worrying, you're imagining. If you, if you come to me and say, I'm concerned about what my boss is going to say. You're imagining what your boss is going to say. You say, yeah, I'm really worried, Paul, about what my boss will say to me tomorrow. I can tell you right now, you've wasted a whole lot of time disobeying what Jesus said, because Jesus said, do not worry. You've wasted a whole lot of time and energy visualizing your boss coming to you and pointing the finger and saying, I'm firing you. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. So if we are visualizing on a regular basis negative stuff, why can't we just be seeing what God is doing? I don't know about you, but I want to dwell on the good stuff. I want to dwell on God's agenda. What is God doing right now in this nation? What is God doing in this church? What is he doing in the city? What is he doing in your business? What is he doing in your organization? God has got a plan and an agenda and a dream for every single organization. Yes. Every single family. He's got a plan for it. For some organizations, his plan for that organization is for it to shut down. It is. When people are doing illegal stuff, immoral stuff, and so on. That's his dream for it. What's God's dream for your business? Psalms 73, verse 7. From their careless hearts comes iniquity. 
Their evil imaginations have no limits. Their evil imaginations have no limits. You know what's exciting? That's a negative statement, isn't it? But I'm afraid that when you're in God, you can do the impossible. Because they, the things you can imagine, the things you can conceive, have no limits. Now these guys, for evil, they're using it negatively. That's why sometimes you watch a movie, or maybe it's probably should be a movie you shouldn't watch, but you watch some things, or you see some posters and some billboards, and you think, how did someone think of that? Because their evil imagination has no limit. And the worst thing is when people do not have any moral boundaries. They open themselves to doctrines of devils. The Bible talks about demonically inspired teachings. Demonically inspired imagination. To literally think up evil. You see it. When you see people torturing other people, you're like, how could someone have possibly thought that up? Demons. There's a guy called Dr. Dr. Bruce Lipton at Stanford University Medical Center. And he explains how it's your subconscious mind that ultimately casts the deciding vote on how much success, abundance, happiness, health, and freedom you experience in your life. Right? And what he says is that most people don't even acknowledge that their subconscious mind is at play. When the fact is that it is, as mil- it is a million times more powerful than the conscious mind. And that we operate 95 to 99%, I'd say to you 95% earlier on, right? 95 to 99% of our lives from subconscious programs. You see, because you're always programming yourself, aren't you? That's why the Bible tells us to renew our minds. Why? That's not just say renew your mind, it's also renew your heart. Renew your mind to sanctify your heart. That's why Jesus says, by truth we sanctify them. I've sanctified them by my truth. My words are truth. What are you sanctifying yourself with? What are you allowing to wash yourself with? You see, if you just read the newspapers and what the negative politicians say, and what every negative person doesn't know Jesus is saying, guess what ends up happening? That becomes the driving force in your life. It literally determines your fear level for the day. It determines who you talk to, who you don't talk to. How you react to your spouse. Have you ever seen, sometimes you talk to someone and so already, they're already somewhere. The starting point isn't the conversation. They're already somewhere. They are somewhere because of what's here. What's deep in their heart. What are you putting inside of you? If I've programmed my mind that I am loved by God, that the love of Jesus dwells in me. That the love of God has been shared abroad in my heart by his spirit. Romans 5 verse 5. If I'm so convinced by that, of that, when you come and you tell me something, I'm working from that basis. But if I program my mind that, you know, people don't like people like me. People have got issues with people like me. Yet you can come and you can give me a gift. You can say something nice and kind. I will always interpret it from that filter. Here's the principle, guys. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. When you see someone reacting, very often it says more about that individual than the thing they're reacting to. Next time you get angry, 
Ask yourself, what is it saying about you? If, how many of you hate it? You really hate it. It just gets to you when someone talks down at you. Or when someone talks down at you like you're not that smart. Come on, own up. Okay, a few hands have gone up. Okay, the, the honest people. Okay, if I was coaching you, if I was speaking to you one-on-one, we would, we would explore. And I can tell you, with 90% accuracy, there's probably a wound there. That's why you react. You see, when you know you're smart, when you're comfortable with your level of intelligence, you won't always compare yourself to other people and you won't be hypersensitive about someone speaking down at you. But when you react and say, they're talking to me like I'm stupid. Very often when I speak to people around these issues, you'll notice that at some point, that was the person who was always compared to their intellectual older sibling. Are you feeling me? Or they were told one day by the teacher, and it was very traumatic for them, when the teacher said, mm, I don't think, I, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the sciences aren't for you. I think stick to these subjects over here. Now you're sensitive. Each time someone says like, oh, you, you, that calculation was a bit incorrect, you react. And you become defensive. It reveals more about you than the situation. Why is it that other people don't react? So if we imagine with our heart, it's so crucial that we guard our hearts. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. I like it in the NLT. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your imaginations. Guard your thoughts. Guard your inner life. Make sure it's whole. Make sure it's pure. Why? It will determine the course of your life. You see, if your heart is wounded, your dream will be skewed. You'll have trouble seeing. If your heart is cynical and wounded, you'll have trouble seeing. I'm going to end with this one. Number four. I'm going to end with number four. Know that you are chosen, loved, and special. Amen. You, know, you know why a lot of us don't dream? We don't know that God has chosen us. You see, with a lot of people, the way they walk throughout their lives, there's almost this thing of God speaks to them. You could get a prophetic word. You are called to A, B, C, D. And they say, yes, Lord, but it doesn't really land. You know what I'm talking about? They think it's landed, but it hasn't. Some of you are in that space. You talk about it a lot. You say, this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm called to. But you're always pushing it out into the future. That's your safe way of rejecting what God has told you. Are you hearing me this morning? When you keep pushing things out and you say like, yes, yeah, you know, yeah, mm, this was prophesied. Yeah, the pastor did a, a, a prophetic decree over my life. So this is what I'm going to do one day. But in your subconscious, in your heart, you haven't fully received it. You talk about it. You say, yeah, but because right now in my life, just with the kiddies and everything, yeah, I know, but we'll see maybe in 10 years time. So you think you've accepted the word, but you really haven't. 
And we'll, we'll have the same conversation in 10 years' time. We'll be like, yeah, not quite yet, yeah, you know, when the finances come through, yeah, because my hub is quite busy at the moment. You've rejected the word of God over your life by pushing it out all the time. It's one thing if God says this word is not for now, it's for later. It's another thing where it hasn't landed. It was for someone else. You are chosen, you are loved, you are special. You see, it's important that we believe that dreaming is okay. That God wants you to dream. What a lot of Christians struggle with is what we call self-deauthorization, where you deauthorize yourself. I know of certain people who made inner vows. That's one of the common ways of deauthorizing yourself. And they've said to themselves, because they were embarrassed years ago, they said to themselves, they made a vow that I will never speak in front of people again because that will open me up to rejection and being mocked. I won't do it. I will never pursue an initiative that might cause me failure. So I only do things when I'm guaranteed of success. So you never take risks. One of the basic aptitudes of an entrepreneur is calculated risk-taking. If you're risk-averse, you can't be an entrepreneur. There's some risk involved, but try and make sure it's a calculated risk. Amen? Amen. What vows have you made? What agreements have you made? I'll never fall in love. It only leads to hurt. Me, I'll never fall in love. Then when you get hooked up, you're very guarded. You're like, yes, mentally, I can see he loves me, Paul. I can see because he does this, he says this, but you're guarded. You've made that vow. You've made that vow. Because in the realm of your imagination, men abuse, men hurt, men are not safe to be around. Or women, if you're a guy. We need to know that God loves us. We need a revelation that God loves us. Some of you are familiar with Mourinho, one of the best coaches in the world. He's now coaching the best team in the world. It's his promotion. The Lord has promoted him. But what is his nickname? What is he known as? Okay, do you know why he's called that? He called himself that some years ago. I don't know if you've seen the YouTube clip where he actually says, I was going to show you, but there's no time where he actually talks about it. He talks about his success, he talks about what happened when he was with FC Porto and they won the Champions League and that was quite something. And then he just says, please, don't say I'm arrogant, don't say I'm arrogant, but I'm the special one. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you something? Part of his success as a manager, I strongly believe is because he believes he's special. <laughs> and the key to your breakthrough is where you know God has chosen you, God has loved you, and you are special. Yes. You are special. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9 to 10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I am unworthy to be called an apostle. That's humility, isn't it? He was, he was being humble, right? But it wasn't a false humility that caused him to say, Ah, so I won't walk in my calling. Look what Paul goes on to say. He says, Because I persecuted the church of God. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yes. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He embraced his calling as an apostle. And obviously being Paul, he started talking about the other things he's done by grace. Okay? No, 
I'm, I'm, I'm this by grace. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So we embrace that we are special, but we acknowledge that it's from Him. Amen? Amen. He's loved us. Look at this. A lot of the people in Scripture who were called by God, they had issues. They were not perfect. Look at Gideon in Judges. Judges 6 verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This guy's saying, I'm the least in my family. I'm the least in my... God focuses on your identity. You see, the important thing is that he's chosen you. Not the circumstances. These guys were being attacked by the Midianites. They're being attacked by the Amalekites and probably other types. <laughs> the circumstances were not favorable. But God speaks to him and just says, that's irrelevant. You're a mighty warrior. If you want your dreams to be accomplished in this life, it's so important that you allow God to change your identity. And we see this in scripture where he says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied in verse 13 to 16. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the median. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the median's hand. That's the dream. Saying, don't worry about the how. Just do the dream. Say the person next to you, do the dream. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? The point is I'm chosen. The point is I've been sent. That's what's relevant. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. That's the important thing. Has God called you and is he with you? I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. We see the same thing happening with Joshua. I'll, I'll share this another time. Where God just says, Moses is dead. I've called you. That's the important thing. Amen? Amen. God wants to activate and reactivate your dream. Shall we stand and shall we pray? In a few weeks time, I'm going to do another part of this message called Dreaming into the Future. And I'm going to show you how you can imagine that great business. I'm going to show you how you can come up with a, a, a mission family, mission statement for your family. I'm going to show you how you can, you can build a dream that's relevant, not for the 80s, not for the 90s, but for where the world is going. I'm going to show you where's the world going, where's the workplace going. How many of you know that in this room right now as we are sitting, 50% of the people in this room, you're going to live up until 100. Those that said people are just staying alive longer. If you look, I was looking a couple of days ago at the stats in terms of mortality rate for South Africa. It's going down each year. Less people are dying. So if you're so comfortable saying like, this is my job in this nice corporate world. My boss is my savior. I love him so much. And I'll do whatever it takes to just keep this wonderful, precious idol a job of mine. <laughs> if you're the kind of person who's saying it, where the world is going by 2025, half the people your company is in 
controlled by your company because of automation, because of intelligent robotics. That's where we're going. A couple of weeks' time, I'm going to be speaking to you. A few weeks' time, I'm going to be speaking to you on how to dream into the future, how to have a dream that's relevant for the future. I believe if we want to be relevant right now, those of you, how many of you are, are good programmers? Like it, you've got good self-esteem. That's wonderful. Some of you should be thinking of creating online tutorials, helping people how to program, especially kids, how to program, and using gaming technology so it's interesting for them. That's the language of the future, guys. Are you hearing me? Let's make sure whatever dreams we have are relevant for where we're going.